Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. And we're back with another round of dueling lists, but uh, we've upped the ante a little bit this time because today it's a three-way. <laughs> Uh, I, I love how you introduce things. Um, yeah, we are going to be talking about our top five favorite sci-fi comedies. And this was actually brought to us by our extremely special guest who's joining us today, Mr. Tom Conway. Hello. Hi, gentlemen. Hey, Tom. What do, uh, what, how, how are you? Let's start with that. Uh, I'm very well. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'm a fan uh, long time listener, first time caller type of thing. <laughs> how uh, how are you handling the quarantine of it all? Actually, um, handling it pretty well. Like uh, I write for television. So uh, surprisingly, uh, work for me has continued. I've been working in at least two different uh, virtual writing rooms, which is not fun, but... Uh, <laughs> For, you know, the fact that I'm still working, I, I feel very, very lucky. So, um, yeah, no, it's uh, despite the mayhem that everything uh, is happening right now, uh, being a television writer and living under quarantine is fairly similar. So <laughs> what are what can you tell us some of the stuff that you're working on or is it all top secret? No, no, I can tell. Um I'll give you a little bit of, uh, I guess, credits. So I mainly write in children's television. Uh, I actually have written on a sci-fi live-action series that uh, is for CBC in Canada and Hulu in the United States called Endlings, uh, which is like kind of a in the not-too-distant future, involves an alien, the last elephant. Uh, it's a pretty exciting uh, children's series. I've written nice. on... Um, I also write comedies, so I wrote on the, the Beaverton, which, for people who aren't Canadian, <laughs> it is kind of like the Canadian Daily Show. Uh, it's political satire that's very canadian base so um and like right i just wrote on a youtube original that was all about the pandemic that will be i think supposed to be airing tomorrow uh, wow. uh which is uh, june 18th um, so a couple of days ago by the time this airs but oh that, yes sorry yeah. i've, I've old broken news. The, everyone will be talking about it i've broken the illusion that this is a live <laughs> podcast um, yeah, and uh, currently writing on another hour-long kids show uh, that probably won't come out for a year. So, yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. All right. So you're come, sort of coming at this uh, uniquely qualified, it sounds like. You got some well, of the in and the look. Yeah. No, I. Uh, sh uh, we haven't said what the top five is yet, right? We, we haven't. We're going to start from each of our fives and work our way up. I'm going to, uh, you know, cast the bones and read the bird entrails and guess that there's probably a couple television shows on yours. There but, is. Uh, there is. But we, 
have we given the setup of what the what I, I gave a brief one, but why don't you go? Why don't you tell us how you pitched this and like oh. what what you were thinking? Oh yeah, well this is all because uh, I've been listening to you guys for a while now and been wanting to pitch a top five, but I am nowhere near as uh, qualified <laughs> as you guys are. That's uh, so politely your, said. Yeah. Is that your, the word for it? Yeah. <laughs> But I do know uh, comedy, and I love sci-fi. And I don't know if you guys have seen the intake uh, YouTube videos of Star Trek, where they're recutting outtakes into scenes from Star Trek. Yes. So I was I was watching that and laughing my head off, <laughs> and then I realized, oh yeah, there's a whole subgenre of sci-fi that's just comedy, and that I can talk to. I feel nice. like I I have some qualifications to talk about that so i uh reached out to you guys and uh and here we are so well how about you you kick us off as our our special guest lead the way with your number five okay so in deep cuts um my number five is a show uh called other space other space yeah i don't think either of you or much of the the world uh, knows or remembers this show. It was I think it uh, came up in my research, but I hadn't heard of it. Yes. Um, so yeah, I have some qualifications for because these are comedy sci-fi. So I'm really, you know, pound per pound per pound laughs is really what I'm trying to um, equate it on, while also having some serious sci-fi elements. So Other Space was a show that came out in 2015 for Yahoo Screen. <laughs> the very sh- we all remember Yahoo Screen, right? Yeah, that's sort of a comedy on its own, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's right up there with Quibi uh, <laughs> for long-lasting, uh, you know, streaming services. Uh, so, yeah, Yahoo S- Screen that also had the sixth season of Community. I feel like these two shows killed... Yahoo Screen. Um, Community I had heard of. I knew it went there, and I wanted to keep up with it, but everything I saw of like the Yahoo version of it made me glad I didn't follow it there. Well, that's the, the thing with uh, the other space is basically Paul Feig, who did Bridesmaids and... Um, Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters. This is, that's the whole thing. This is for those who dislike the the new version of Ghostbusters, which I have not seen. Uh, Paul Feig is still a really funny, funny individual. Um, Bridesmaids, I still think, is one of the best comedy films ever. And uh, did he wrote? Or he was involved in Superbad, right? Uh, he was involved in Superbad. He directed episodes of The Office. Um, he he's done a whole host of. Uh, comedy projects. Oh, he was also involved in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Um, and so this was, he created the show called Other Space, basically kind of in the future, 100 years in the future. Um, it's a maiden voyage of a starship um, that kind of shifts into a different dimension, an other space with kind of a, a crew of you know, misfit idiots. Uh, really, it, I would say the tone is similar to like a Parks and Rec type of vibe. 
Um, and uh, it is like incredibly on Rotten Tomatoes. It has like a 91% rating. Wow. Uh, it was rated top 20 best TV shows in 2015 by Rolling Stone. Like, but no one, no one watched it. Um, it only has one season. But because it's only one season, like each episode is really strong and like there's a whole host of like really funny people in it who I don't think anyone would know their names, but you all know their faces. Like maybe the, the only person that might have some level of notoriety is like this one actress, uh, Connor Leslie, who's in Titans. She plays Wonder Girl. Oh, man. Um, like, but that's, that's about the level of stardom that this show had. Um, but it's like, I would say it is the funny version of the Orville. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh. So who knows what, uh, your guys lists are, but I would, (laughs) I, I would say that, uh, other space is that it only has the one season, um, is really absurd. It's not obscure. It's just no one watched it uh, because it was on a streaming service that died so quickly. Uh, I, I really feel it's like a hidden gem. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, really, really funny show. And the sci-fi in it is, uh, in my opinion, just as good as like a, a a Star Trek almost. So Nice. That's That's what I was looking for when I was doing my list. Something that had a good balance of comedy, but also was truly sci-fi and wasn't just set in space, and that was the extent of it. Yeah, I guess that uh, the fact of it being such a hidden gem means that we can't really offer our own opinions on it. But I guess the the takeaway to get with this before we move on is, is there anywhere that we can catch it now? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, for, so researching. Uh, you can watch it for free on you, uh, Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo <laughs> Entertainment. Um huh. All the episodes are there. No need to uh, pirate anything um, or pay for any service. So it's really easy to watch, and I, I highly recommend it. It's really funny. So I, I do think there's something about these shows or anything, really, where it has a limited run, and you feel like you're one of the few people who've found it. And so you have like a more of a connection to it. It's like it's my <laughs> secret thing. You want to be the thing. person who knew it before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, the, the, well, that's a that's a choice. The whole time while I watched it, I was like, "Oh, I really hope this show doesn't get canceled because I really liked it." And it was just, it was like I was walking to the end of a plank. Like I knew <laughs> it was coming because I would ask right. them, like, "Have you seen this show?" And they would just blank faces. So, yeah, yeah. Well, sorry to hear it, but uh, we'll have to check it out. Who yes. knows? Might be enough to get it a revival. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, Jesse, you want to go for your number five? Sure. My number five uh, might not be one we're talking about right away because I feel a little bad leaving it at number five. Uh, The number five on my list is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, we Um, probably won't be talking about that one for a while. Yeah. um, I want to specify that when I put this together, I decided to make it specifically the first novel, uh, the 1979 release. But then when I was writing down all the things I loved about it, I realized a lot of them were from later books. And I guess we'll get into it later. But that's the one I stuck down there. I mean, that's and I want to there's a lot of sci fi comedy out there. I'm not saying that's the worst one. 
I'm just saying like, that's the that that broke onto my list. Just are the things I like better. I'm sure we'll cycle back around to it. Okay, so my number five is Men in Black, the first Ooh. Men in Black movie. Oh, okay, yeah, good choice. <laughs> is that going to hit on anyone else's list? No, no, uh, nope. uh, serious consideration, uh, but it uh, it escaped the top five. Okay, so my take on it, well, first of all, just to give some background, is a comic book adaptation. I don't think a lot of people know that. It's It was from an obscure publisher that was bought by another obscure publisher that was eventually bought by Marvel, who have done nothing with any of the properties since then. But it's it got adapted by an incredible cast of, of people. I mean, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones star in it, which is a huge coup on its own, but it's directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who's an amazing director, and it was written by Ed Solomon, who has done a lot of cool stuff, including something else that might show up on the list later on, Bill and Ted. So, it's got a great pedigree, and it has a fine... So, the premise is, it's about these a government agency that's all behind the scenes, and they cover up alien activity on Earth and help police the aliens that are on earth and are allowed to be on earth and it has a lot of really cool sci-fi concepts but it's also really funny you know anything of that period with will smith is bound to be funny and it manages to do it really well he's charming as hell all the way through and tommy lee jones is really funny too as a sort of straight man but he gets some big laughs too well, that's fair. And I, I had thought about it when I was putting my list together. In the end, I sort of decided the sci-fi wasn't as much there. Um, like, I mean, it's in space, and they have some really cool creature designs, and I feel like maybe that does kick it back onto the list, but they just didn't go as much into the technology um, as, I, I, as, as a huge dork I kind of <laughs> liked. But just, yeah, man, I mean, all the stuff, like all the technology that's played for gags, like the Neuralizer to make you forget things, and Will Smith's tiny little gun. Oh, yeah. What was it called? It had a... The Cricket. Name. It's called the, the Noisy Cricket. cricket. Yeah. yeah, the tiny little thing. It looks like a keychain. He pulls the trigger and it throws him backwards. I mean, traditional joke, but ah, so well presented. And and Tommy Lee Jones selling it, where Will Smith pulls the, the little gun on him and then he forces his hand out of the way because he knows what it's going to do. There's just, like, the, the beats between them. They have this amazing chemistry. And I think we, you kind of forget, unless you're watching it right in front of you, that they are great together. Oh, it's one of the best pairings ever, I think, in like a that's the thing. It's it, it's more of like a buddy cop movie. That was the like again with the comedy element. I like it's so funny and I think like it was also at this period where like unlike the second Men in Black, they were still using practical effects. Like there right. there is like CG that maybe is a little wonky, but they 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 utilize practical effects really well. Um and and the dynamic is like, you know, incredibly strong. And like, I'm just the fact that you picked a project with Tony Shaloub in it. I think is <laughs> is a big highlight for me. Uh, he'll get he's going to get bonus points whenever he shows up. If I could put Monk on this list, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Though sadly, it's not sci-fi. Um, but uh, yeah, I just. It's, I, I think that uh, Jesse and I are on different ends of the sci-fi comedy because uh, I think I might get grilled and burnt <laughs> for maybe at least one of my picks coming up. Uh, but um, yeah, just because like, I think the, the laughs, it's, it's a really funny movie, but it's almost 
like the the coolness factor and the excitement factor i think overtakes the laughs for that's me. fair yeah i i, I get that uh, just to, to give it it's you know, proper recognition when it comes to the sci-fi stuff, at least for me, the idea of the tiny galaxy in the dog's, uh, what is it? The dog's bag. It was a cat. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, the cat. That's right. Yeah. That was such a cool concept. The idea of the, those tiny galaxy that's being worn by a cat, the aliens inside the people, the tiny aliens inside the giant people bodies, sort of reminiscent of pinky in the brain. Um, the Tony Shalhoub getting his head blown off and then regrowing it. (laughs) The dog, the talking dog, Frank. I, I, there's a lot of great stuff there, but I do think the series definitely has diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't even seen that fourth one. The what is it? MIB International. Did anyone see that? Yeah, it was pretty paint by numbers. Um, yeah, I think the movies definitely decreased in quality as they went. But um, as honorable mention, though, to the animated series, I really enjoyed. That's true. I was I was going to mention that as well. I think the animated series is like maybe underappreciated, at least, uh, but not by the people who watched it. Like I think if you watched it, it really was this like I don't know, almost adult animated show. It like definitely on, had almost a, like a scary factor to it. Yeah, and yet it was like a Saturday morning cartoon. It may have done better if it had been a primetime show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Tom, what's your number four? Okay, we're on. okay. This is where I think Jesse will <laughs> will throw a flag on the field. Um, I, oh boy, a sports reference on this I, podcast is not going to go over well. <laughs> it, you know, a quantum flag. Uh, <laughs> um, so my fourth is Clone High. Oh, so um, oh. in uh, two thousand and two, uh, Clone High animated series on MTV. Um, which was basically, uh, I'll give you the log line. Um, the greatest minds of the world have been cloned and are now attending high school together. So uh, it's basically about a group of clones uh, of famous people like JFK, uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, Gandhi, 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 and that Gandhi, riot, Cleopatra, yes, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc. Um, and I was, guess I guess before we get too deep, it, I mean it's not on my list. Just did it make your list? No, no, no. We're we're going into this one. Okay. Oh yeah, no. I, I this was I the next couple I think is where we're going to really, <laughs> you know, where the rubber will hit the road. But uh, <laughs> um, it was created by um, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and also who did uh, the Lego Movie and Into the Spider Verse. Um, Love Into the Spider-Verse. And I just think they are incredible talents. It was also co-created by Bill Lawrence, who created Scrubs in Cougar Town. But he was, Bill Lawrence was, like, he knew Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were very young when they made this show. But it was kind of like he was the known um, executive who basically vouched for them and got them this show. Uh, so he wasn't an integral part. It was basically, he said, these guys are amazing. Give them a show. I'll have my name on it. And uh, they can have a, a crappy office not that far from where we shoot scrubs. Right. Um, it's kind of like what Quentin Tarantino throws his name on a kung fu movie just so it'll get a North American release. Exactly, exactly. And uh, like the animation style, um, it was the same uh, 
production company that did the Clerks cartoon. Right. Uh, if you remember that, very short-lived as well. Um, I think Clone it, High might have had more of a following than that one. Oh yeah. Um, it like spoofed like '90s teen shows, like 90210. Um, the uh, voice actors, uh, like the main notable one, is Will Forte, who played Abraham Lincoln, and uh, it's just like perfect performance, just hilarious as. Uh, an aw shucks type of individual who's trying to live up to the legend of uh, Abraham Lincoln while also being a teenager who can't talk to girls. It's just like the sci-fi in it is the premise, right? Like that they're clones and it really is the basis of the whole thing. And that's why I think it it, it definitely is part of this sci-fi comedy genre because it doesn't exist without that, you know, inciting incident. And, and you also have what is what was the name of the robot assistant to the principal? Um, uh, Wears a sweater vest and has a mustache. <laughs> I have the oh man, um, the principal. The principal was Doctor uh, Scudworth, right? And, and oh, I would have to look it up. I can probably. Look it's it. okay. I mean, his uh, the, the the greatest thing is him always calling everyone Wesley and the yes. weird intonation that. But it's a robot, so that counts as sci-fi too. Yeah, robot, and there's a shadowy organization that are called the shadowy figures. Like, it's just like it plays off all these tropes, but really goes for the laughs. And it had one season, um, I would say, like, every episode is um, amazing. Like, there, you really, like, there's laughs like every 20 seconds, basically. But it came to an untimely end because one of the characters was supposed to be the clone of Gandhi, and there was a real backlash uh, from uh, India at the time, uh, and it was um, it, it just never um, was able to escape that. And I don't think it had great numbers, like uh, viewing numbers. But right, uh, if it was like South Park, they might have kept going despite the controversy. Absolutely. And uh, and it was like, you know, it was like an entire country <laughs> with a giant population. Like right. it, was a, it was a big deal, um, even though uh, that the Gandhi character is like a clone and it's just it's basically name in only. Um, but uh, and there has been talk since for like a Clone High movie that in like 2014, but it never kind of came about. And Phil Lord and Chris Miller have talked about like utilizing jokes from the movie um, Clone High that uh, they had been working on for like 22 Jump Street and for other projects they had. Um, but definitely. Again, for laughs, pound for pound laughs, I, that's why it's number four. I definitely, the other ones lean far more into the sci-fi. But uh, for the comedy, I, think, I definitely suggest this. It's interesting that your two so far are short-lived TV shows. And, and I do think going even beyond the, the obscurity of them, the fact that they're, they only lasted one season, I think also kind of helps these these short shows. Like, like someone once asked me, what show I like more, Battlestar Galactica or Firefly. And I think I surprised them when I said Firefly. And part of the reason for that is it never had a chance to disappoint me. It's mm -hmm. such a short run and I love every episode and can watch them over and over again. And there's never a point where I'm like, I'll just skip this one because they're, 
it's, it's so it holds together in that smaller format better. And maybe that works with Clone High, too. If it went 10 seasons, I'm sure there'd be a lot of ups and downs and it might drag it down the list. Yeah, I don't think it's a sustainable premise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you may have got like another season out of it, but because right. it was short, so short-lived, the episodes that they did write are really, really strong. But the, I mean, the joke is the premise, and the rest of the show just sort of props that up. I don't know, but there's some great ones. Like, like there are things from that show that I still reference. I, I'm oh. talking about it so effusively. It's like, why isn't it on my list? But the the makeover when when JFK or not JFK when Lincoln is going to do a makeover for Joan of Arc and they have this whole makeover montage so good and I always think of that whenever a makeover scene happens in a movie yeah I I think that yes the 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 sci-fi premise only gets you so far because they're spoofing TV shows and teen shows and the conventions of you know television um like I've watched an episode today and dashboard confessional uh, or confessions plays twice in the same episode. And just the fact that it's the same song playing twice is like a joke in and of itself. It's um, definitely sets it in a very particular time period. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right, Jess, what's your number four? Uh, my number four, I don't know, maybe Graham, maybe you got it, uh, was the novel Colony by Rob Grant. I definitely read it. You, you lend it to, loaned it to me in high school, I think, and I read it, but it didn't qu- crack my list. Any chance, Tom, any chance you've heard of it? No, I know that there's a movie called Colony, but... Uh... Different thing. Okay, because I was going to no, say, this... that's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, Colony is a novel by Rob Grant, the co-creator of Red Dwarf. Ah. Um, a 90s BBC comedy that has a huge following um, and just was never as big over on this side of the pond. Colony was his first novel that he wrote that was basically outside of that IP. So if if you're familiar with Red Dwarf, you sort of know what this is. It's English humor. It's a lot of drawn-out, uncomfortable situations. Uh, It's very dry. uh, And it's that level of British comedy that really appeals to me. Uh, since no one has read it. Um, so the, the, the premise is that uh, the Earth is dying and a bunch of, like, there's going to be a generational spaceship that's going to take people away uh, to rebuild civilization somewhere else um, through a series of comedic tragedies. A regular person, rather than Earth's finest, uh, ends up in stasis aboard the ship and wakes up ten generations later, and now he's, like, the only normal person, and everyone else is completely insane. Um, their science officer like is a religious fanatic like and who's actually has a really well structured speech about how like all the idiots on the ship cling to the demonstrably useless thing of cause and effect when the obvious interpretation of all these situations is that they're being punished by God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's that kind of humor. Like the the, the most intelligent person on the sh- on the ship is constantly kept in suspended animation because it's the brains of two professors in one body, but they absolutely hate each other. 
And whenever they're awake, they are desperate to murder each other, which, of course, would mean themselves. And so there's a very dramatic, like, you can only call on them when it's really, really necessary, and you can only get two or three minutes out of them before they have to be sedated and put back under extremely heavy guard. Uh, it's a riot, and the a lot of it has to do with the writing, where a lot of it is really, really drawn out. Um, I, I, I took a couple quotes that I wanted to read out, but I think we're already running pretty hard for time. Um, essentially, I've given you the basis of what makes it up. It's that dry English comedy. It's regular people in irregular situations. Um, there is a fair amount of sci-fi. They have to solve sci-fi problems on this ship. Uh, where there's problems with decelerating due to gravity, where there's strange behavior that may or may not be AI. There's the the results of ten generations of cloning that has a deleterious effect on the intellect. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but also pokes, uh, the, raises some cool sci-fi issues that are fun to read about. And uh, I'm considering this a public service announcement. Colony yeah. by Rob Grant. It's still available in paperback, and I'm sure on ebooks somewhere. It's worth a read. Yeah, but where do you, do you rate it? Oh, well, maybe we'll have to wait, but is it, do you think it's better than Red Dwarf? Well, I mean, put it this way. I think it's better than The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I Whoa. think should tell you a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Sorry. Hitchhiker's was at five, and this I put up at four. I was going to um, mention it later, but I, do any of us have Red Dwarf on our list? I do not. I don't. I do not. I, I, and again, I think that's mostly geographic. Yeah. I don't I don't think it got much of an audience in Canada. I, wa- uh, I tried to watch it. I used to try to watch it. I tried to watch it for this. I think it's just there is something about the production value, that, and it is very British and a specific type of humor, uh, working class in space. And it's... I don't know. It's like it's, it's a legendary show. It uh, some of their newer stuff uh, I think is better than the original show. But yeah, I just I couldn't get into it. I just yeah. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my my suspicion is just that it was on at the same time as Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was a much higher budget show. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is, they're both shows about people on spaceships, and yes, they're very different shows. But like. It's you know, the same thing happens when you compare Deep Space Nine to Babylon Five. Like one show just looks better. Okay, so my number four is also a book. Um, it is called well, it's a series of books and a series of stories. Really, it's called Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. I think never heard of it. Okay, I honestly don't know why I bought it. I think it was cheap or something at a at a Chapters back in the day. But it's basically like Cheers if every once in a while an alien showed up or there was a time travel paradox or there was a werewolf that they had to try and cure. It's a group of familiar characters, familiar friends, and they just, if they're short stories, but they're all set in this one place. I think over the course of the series, that setting changes a little bit, but it's, I was rereading it for this, and it was kind of like going into a warm bath. It just felt welcoming. It felt like I was a regular at the bar, and I was just sitting there watching everything else that was going on. It's it's a very comfortable feeling. And it's not hilarious, but there are cool sci-fi concepts. It's really well-written. Like, the turns of phrase are charming as hell. And 
okay, I will say the comedy is not necessarily for everyone. There are <laughs> series of like a recurring theme in it is that it's pun day where they just have a topic and there's a series of puns and, you know, inevitably it'll get interrupted by a vampire invading or something. But if you like puns, you'll like this. If you don't like puns, you may want to skip those chapters. But again, it's just chapters, really charming. whole chapters of puns. <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, it's uh, it could be a little much, but it's very charming. I, I, I keep coming back to that word. It's not super brilliant or high level, and it's it's just cozy. It's a very nice sort of cottage read or, or vacation read where you just want to grab a glass and join the guys at the bar. That's all. Spider Robinson. He was uh, born in the States has lived most of his life in Canada, and that's where he, he writes from. So also some CanCon on our list. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, no, that's always important. All right, no, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, let's go to your number three, Tom. All right, and I'll do th- – this one will be fast because I don't know if it will be on your list, but I think we all kind of know it. Uh, my number three is Ghostbusters. Oh, not on my list, but when I think about it, maybe that's a mistake on my part. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not on I, my list. I am one of the rare people who does not I, – like, I respect it, but I don't have the oh the my. ingrained love of it that some people do. Well, I, I'm not going to say you are wrong, Graham. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Okay. okay. I, just, I want you to know that you are not wrong about Ghostbusters. Um, I mean, it's a free country, and you're allowed to have that opinion. You're allowed to. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. Um, All right. This may be the last time I ever talk to you. No. uh, (laughs) um, Honestly, I just, I don't, I didn't consider it from the sci-fi angle. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Well, that's, I I do think that there's the argument that it's a, it's a horror, but uh, because it's really, it's, it's a unique kind of genre mashup where they're fighting um, paranormal you know, elements with science. It's really science overcoming the paranormal. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, none of this technology really like lives in reality, but for uh, Dan Aykroyd, it 100% is real. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and like just because he it takes it so serious, like the ectoplasm, like all the... All the nitty-gritty terminology just makes it feel like it could exist. It definitely um, grounds it more than most conventional horror movies would. Yeah, and it's just like, for me, I think that that, that science element of, of fighting paranormal with technology um, is kind of like a groundbreaking idea and other, you know, movies and uh, stories. And I'm sure, like, in essence, it's kind of... Uh, you could make a connection to like Frankenstein, but it, it, for the comedy, like you can't, in my opinion, it just, you can't beat it. Like Bill Murray, uh, Rick Moranis, um, uh, Ivan Reitman directing Harold Ramis. It's just like, it's just so funny. Um, it's something in their delivery like that. Like they they ground it so like you said like they make it seem like it could be something that's real but the situations are so absurd and and it it takes its time and it's just like they feel like as the reality they're smoking cigarettes it's they're just <laughs> blue collar slobs 
Uh, Ernie Hudson, in my opinion, is in like pitch perfect for it. And, you know, I, I think that that uh, Ghostbusters has had its praise, so I don't want to get too into it. But it's it's also like kind of the main thing is it it's kind of accidental in how it all came together and different people were supposed to play different roles. And I mean, at lot, one point, lot, I was gonna, kind of, yeah, sorry. I was going to ask about that. I, I've heard rumors that the Winston Zedmore part at some point was going to be, was pitched to Eddie Murphy. Yes. Yeah. How? Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy was in mind. It was written for him, uh, but he did um, uh, Beverly, Beverly Hills Cop. So he couldn't do it. John Belushi was supposed to be in it. Uh, John Candy was supposed to be uh, the Rick Moranis character, but he wanted to do a German accent. And uh, Ivan Reitman was like, no. And so John Candy said, well, I'm not going to do it. And then they called Rick Moranis. Um, And talking about CanCon, like just SCTV all over the place. And and just, I don't know, there's a dry humor to it all. And it, it kind of breaks a lot of storytelling rules. No one really has an arc, but it all works together in this like amazing alchemy. Uh, so it's it's my number three. So, well, yeah, I can think of some listeners that are going to be very happy it made the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I I I barely accept calling it sci-fi. <laughs> given that you've given us, I think it's a pass, and because of that, I feel guilty that it's not on my list. I knew it was um, going to be somewhat controversial, but I I, yeah. I do think you know you're dealing with proton packs. You know, it's it, it's it, it's the science of busting ghosts. Like they yeah. they do go into it a little bit, it's, and it is fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah, this true, that. true. <laughs> Don't forget that part. It was not. Yeah, that's fifty percent right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jess, what's your number three? My number three, uh, very different, uh, is the Robot Chicken Star Wars specials uh, from 2007, 2008, and 2010. This might be a guilty pleasure on my part, but you guys at least know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Hilarious. I don't know that. So so I get that it's parodying sci-fi, but I would account it more as parody than than a sci-fi comedy. But go on. No, the – and this is – Again, this might be a little bit self-indulgent, but the... So Robot Chicken... Okay, so yeah, background. So Robot Chicken, it's a sketch comedy done with stop animation. Uh, It's produced uh, by Seth Green and Matthew Seinrich. Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. Um, It is short sketches. Sometimes only a couple lines of dialogue before you move on to the next one. So quick ways to get jokes out. But they thoroughly roast Star Wars. And you're right. Like, nothing about this is really science fiction. Nothing about Star Wars is really science fiction. (laughs) Totally fair. Yeah. But just the fact that it has spaceships and lasers and, you know, magic light swords. But I... Listen, why bury the lead? I think Seth MacFarlane's portrayal as Papa Palpatine is just constantly one of the one of my favorite comedic performances of all time. I something about taking that character and turning him into this like grumpy, just fetching old man kills <laughs> me every single time I watch it. And it helps that there's a lot of talent involved with this. There's, I mean, you know, Mark Hamill did some of the lines for Luke Skywalker. Like they, they got a lot of the, like they got a lot of the Star Wars. Yeah, Billy D. Williams in, in there, there, I think. 
And then also just your regular, like, you know, you're just all these, oh, yeah, God, I, I was looking at my list. I was like, oh, yeah, Joey Fatone plays himself, <laughs> right? Like, the part he was born to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, it, my uh, I, if I was picking a parody Star Wars, I would go with the family guy. Really? Yeah. I, I thought, I think that is, they tell all three movies in, you know, uh, much shorter truncated time, and I think the jokes are solid. The the Family Guy version, the Blue Harvest. Yeah, um, yeah. The Family Guy one is definitely more of a complete story. Mm-hmm. But something about Robot Chicken, because of that format, where everything like where it's not telling a complete story, I guess it just allows them to get away with just weird, absurd stuff. The the commercial for Admiral Akbar's breakfast cereal. Yeah, <laughs> like like there's no way to fit that sketch into a story. Like, nowhere else could you get away with it. But when, you know, when the kids are eating the regular cereal and he busts in, it's a trap and knocks the cereal box out of their hand. (laughs) It's insane. And and the completely obnoxious Boba Fett. Right. They took took the character who has absolutely no lines in these movies and just he does not shut up. And it's clear a couple of these sketches are just having the voice actor just ad lib and just babble to himself about nothing like it's it lets them get away with things that you couldn't if you were bound to more you know traditional things like writing and storytelling and character development and and And, who like who likes that stuff (laughs) exactly that's never been successful Um, if, 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 if anybody listening to this who hasn't watched it just google up robot chicken emperor palpatine i guarantee you Whichever search engine you're using, the first result will be the sketch where he's in his office and he gets the phone call from Darth Vader about the Death Star being destroyed. And it's the one-sided conversation, so it's just his reactions. And just, you know, like the long pause and then, what the hell is an aluminum falcon? Yeah. Like, just, like, it's, I, I just, Even I my, can't. my dad, this is not geared towards people in their, you know, 60s, but even my dad really likes that bit. It's a, yeah, it's it's great comedy. Maybe not the best sci-fi. I'll put that right out there. But that stuff is hilarious and easily digestible to boot. All right, so here's my number three, and I will be shocked if I'm the only person who has it on the list. So let's. I'm, I've got my shock face ready just in case. Galaxy Quest. It is on my list. Okay. Whew. Uh, Tom, does it make your list? It does not make my list. Oh my god! Uh, Even with the Shaloom points. <laughs> Even with the Shaloom points, it does not make my list. But I, I, I definitely see why it makes your list. It, it was highly considered. I think it's because I had other space. Okay. Well, let's let's uh, hold it there until it comes up on Jesse's list. What's your number two, Tom? My number two, and I would be shocked if this isn't on your guys' list, is Futurama. Didn't make it's my not list. on my list. Wow. It's not on your list. <laughs> oh my god, this is shocking. Um, I'm very sorry. Well, come on. Like Futurama came out in 1999. Matt Groening from Simpsons and one of his writers, uh, David X Cohen, or David S Cohen, is what his original name was. Um, created the show together. It was like kind of the smartest writer's room ever. Like David X. Cohen is a mathematician. Like it had 
people with doctorates, um, physicists who were also uh, comedy writers, all working on this show. I, yeah, I, think, action- I think I read somewhere that the whole writers' room together, like cumulatively, they had like forty years at Harvard. Yeah, it's just like, and so like, there's actual sci-fi in the show. There's actual science in the show. Um, uh, uh, there's a, a mathematic uh, equation called the Futurama theorem that came out of the show by one of the writers. Uh, Interesting. Where it's like a brain switching episode, and it's like trying to get the original brain back into the person by switching brains through all these people. Um, it had seven seasons. I will really say it's uh, at number two for me because uh, I think as Graham you mentioned before. Uh, it had because there are seven seasons. Some of them aren't as strong. The first four seasons, I think, are really, really solid. I am shocked. Like it, <laughs> you, you got Billy West uh, voicing yeah. John DiMaggio, Phil Lamar. Like it's just, I don't know. I, I'm just I it and it has real science fiction concepts in it, and like also dealt with other like bigger concepts like there's an episode where bender has um a society on his uh that starts growing on his stomach as he's like hurtling through space and it's all about him becoming god it's like it's like the star trek movie you know um (laughs) and there's an episode where they find the original cast of star trek that's one of my favorite episodes of television ever it is so good so good and it's I like, feel like it does a like, you know what it might do the best job of anything we've mentioned so far to unify science fiction with comedy mm-hmm. to the point that yeah you're laughing at it because of the characters behaviors and their lines but sometimes you're laughing because they've created a genuinely interesting sci-fi situation and it's funny because of what's happening in this cool thing that they've developed. I'll be honest, I didn't really consider it but now you're making me feel very guilty that it didn't make my list. It's fine. Well, it's fine, guys. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not making any judgments. Okay. I'm going to leave well, without judgment. I'll hit today. you with just that. I mean, I like. I think it does both of those things, and it unifies them really well. But it's not my favorite comedy, and it's not my favorite sci-fi on this uh, from any of our lists so far. I mean, I that, that see that like I do. I do understand that. I do think it's like it kind of like is a weird thing. It actually had a a hard time finding its tone uh like that first pilot episode there's a suicide booth they wanted to go much darker and and so i i understand uh, that certain jokes definitely may not connect on a tonal level uh but yeah for me it's definitely it was a toss-up between number one and number two so wow yeah I want to keep going on this. I have so many questions, but I feel like we're we're running out of time. So let's just carry on. Jesse, what's your number two? My number two uh, is uh, uh, yeah, the opposite of, of Futurama. <laughs> uh, my number two is Spaceballs. Uh, okay. Uh, again, not that much sci-fi so much as just set in space, but there's enough sci-fi concepts in there where they're playing with, like, you know, what do you do in a situation where you have to artificially preserve air? And how does that affect your culture and stuff? But it's all played for laughs. Um, it's a 1987. I, I, I think it's formally considered like a, a satirical science fiction film. Uh, it's, it's a would, Mel. 
It's it's parody. It's parody yeah. comedy, I would say. That's where it lands with me, too, as parody in my head, in my head canon for this thing that doesn't really matter at all. But yeah, go go on, Jess. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it's a Mel Brooks movie, which should tell you everything you need to know about it. Um, and in the same way that it's like, like, like other things haven't been my favorite comedies, like Spaceballs, again, this is something that I laugh at all the time. And in terms of this, like it's a Mel Brooks movie. The dialogue is hilarious. There's, there's, it just, it's, there's really great speaking characters. There's nothing there to say that hasn't already been said. But the shots it takes at science fiction, like Star Wars, and like anything in general, are just so on point. Like the moment the dark helmet walks right up into the camera, and the breathing gets distorted, and he lifts the visor away, and it's Rick Moranis. That sets the tone for the entire movie, and it's it's a really good time. Maybe I like maybe it's a more fun movie than it is genuinely a sci-fi comedy masterpiece. Maybe it's more just that it's entertaining. But when you take how how kind of what's the polite way? I forget it. How up its own ass some science fiction can get when you yeah. take that and then you put Rick Moranis in it, like and just Andy. Oh, oh yeah. Let's, let's, to be fair, I'm focusing too much on one guy. Bill Pullman and John Candy are hilarious. Uh, they're God. What? Why don't I have it written down? What's the name of the actress who plays Princess um, Daphne Zuniga? Zuniga. That was it. Her take on the like the Druish princess. God, it's. I. I don't want to like. If you haven't seen Spaceballs, you have to go see it. And if you've seen it, you don't need me to go tell you about it. <laughs> and they just I, they. And I will say that there is some satire in it. Like, I think, like, the jokes that I think are, like, the strongest jokes are, like, with uh, Mel Brooks as the Yoda-like character. Yogurt, yogurt yes, yogurt. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's, The merchandising he, cave, right? Yeah, the merchandise and the Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Like, I think <laughs> that is just classic... Brooks and I definitely I considered it but I watched some of it and some of it doesn't hold up as well but I feel like if I was 12 years old again I'd laugh my head off so yeah I mean I remember as a kid when when uh the when Mel Brooks is the president has that transporter accident and his head is backwards and he comments on his ass and stuff that stuff killed me as a kid now i don't know that it would hit me as well i don't know that i would find it as funny as i did then yeah you know the 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 schwartz lightsabers having to come out of your groin like that's definitely a joke for kids but then (laughs) but then the merchandising cave like like, that's a joke i didn't really get when i was young right it was just oh he's selling toys that's funny but no the way he takes it out like yeah star wars is a toy commercial yeah. It's three hour and a half long toy commercials, and he just rubs that in your face. I almost admire that. And I'm a guy who pathologically <laughs> loves Star Wars. And has bought very much of that merchandise. Oh, yeah, too much. <laughs> too much. I've got a pair of Star Wars drones that I haven't even used yet. They've been sitting here for like a year. I- but having him take that and just point out that the Emperor has no clothes is what Spaceballs does, and it does it really well, and I really appreciate that. 
my my favorite joke from that movie that I that I still think about constantly, especially in this age where we're constantly having to redo our passwords for everything online, is the whole joke about one two three four five being like the kind of password an idiot would have on his luggage. I that comes up way too often in my life. <laughs> With me, it's the opening. They do the opening crawl, and then they do the dramatic reveal of the ship, and then more ship. Right. And then more ship. Like, Star Wars movies still do this. They still open with the slow, dramatic spaceship porn. And Spaceballs just lampoons them for it. That's that's, that's important. I definitely think you have a big argument because I'm like, uh, the jam, he jammed our radar is like one of my favorite jokes of all time. Um, Yeah, so I I like, and this is your number two, right? That's my number two. All right. Okay, so my number two, again, I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet, is Star Trek IV, The Voyage <laughs> Home. It's not on my list. I thought about it, but it's not a comedy, <laughs> though it is really funny. I, I It has so many jokes in it that I think about, I, I, you know, I spend way too much of my life thinking about Star Trek, but the jokes in this movie... <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> All work really well. It's such a great entry point for the franchise too, because it's so funny. And and I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's so good. It's it's also great. There's no mastermind villain in it like there is in all the other Star Trek movies. It's just they have to solve a problem, and so it is a great opportunity for it to be lighter. They don't have to have a big shootout at the end. They it's got a really good environmental message, and I'll grant you, it is not nearly as funny as other things on everyone else's list. Like it may be pound for pound the least funny of anything that we've talked about, but the jokes it does have land really well and and it still manages to be a good Star Trek movie. That's my pitch for why it's so high on my list. Yeah, it's, I, it's one of the best Star Trek movies. So, and uh, for a long time, the highest grossing Star Trek movie. That, I believe. I don't know. You're you're both right. I think I'm with Tom in that it's not really a comedy. But some of the jokes in that movie really slay. There's, ah, oh, geez, a little bit, maybe second act where Kirk is explaining to Spock about 20th century swearing, like colorful yeah. metaphors. And then, like, an hour later, there's a callback to it where he runs onto the bridge. Spock, where the hell's that power? And Spock, in perfect Spock monotone, calmly replies, one damn minute, Admiral. (laughs) Kills me. Double dumbass on you is so good. Yeah. It's a a classic. It's a classic. The whole bit with Scotty trying to use the the 1980s Macintosh is so good. And I still think about that, you know, where he uses the mouse as a uh, microphone and he's like, hello, "Hello, computer. (laughs) And I can't believe you haven't haven't mentioned the the missiles, the Ah, nuclear nuclear vessels, vessels. Vessels, yeah. But it's, but the, but the, but is it a comedy? Like the jokes aren't the focus of the movie. They're just letting some steam off. You know, I don't know, man. Like if you watch the trailer for that movie, it 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 definitely, you know, Leonard Nimoy directed it, and he went on to direct for, uh, Three Men and a Baby. And I feel like if the movies had been flipped, it would have said Star Trek Four from the director of Three Men and a Baby because there's so much comedy in it. I just learned. I can't. I did not know he directed Three Men and a Baby. Right? Uh, Isn't that crazy? 
That is, he's a very good director. Um, yeah, it's highly it's, illogical. Yeah. Yes, it's very highly illogical. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the number ones. Let's get this. Uh, let's get to the the meat of this. Tom, yeah, what's your right. number one? Well, with how it's been going, I don't think this is going to be on anyone's list. Uh, but and it's very contemporary. Like my number one is Rick and Morty. Oh, I did not consider that, and it should absolutely be on my list. I considered it, but I haven't seen enough of it to feel like I could give it a fair judgment. I've seen maybe 12 episodes. It's it's dark comedy, but it's comedy, and it's very clever sci-fi. Tom, you have shamed me here today. <laughs> that really should be on there. Well, you know, um, I... Like, to me, it was a real toss-up between Futurama and Rick and Morty. And the only reason why Rick and Morty is number one is because I, it just hasn't been on long enough. I think, like, the first two seasons are impeccable. It's uh, Dan Harmon, who created Community, and Justin Roiland, who uh, they knew each other. Uh, back in the day, they made, uh, like, short films together. Justin Roiland made this, like, very inappropriate short film uh, called the adventure, the real animated adventures of Doc and Marty, and uh, it is definitely not safe for work. Uh, and that was kind of the the jump off point. It was like, you know, what if Doc Brown and Marty McFly from actually, Back to the Future from Back to the Future actually existed? And um, instead of time travel, it's all about the multiverse, and it's just. Because it's the multiverse, every episode it is able to kind of restart itself. It's very episodic TV, uh, which I'm. But a even huge within fan that, yeah, even within that, there's still arcs, right? There's still there's still arcs, but they never have to. They're not slaves to it. It's it's basically a device to do whatever they want. And yeah, there's some really cool sci-fi concepts in it, especially oh, yeah. multiverse stuff and existential questions that are obviously yeah if there's a multiverse and there's infinite versions of you does anything you do matter that's a that's a huge question at the center of the series nihilistic oh yeah it's it gets dark and yes and as dark as it but it also is like ridiculously fun sometimes and just has jokes jerry the hapless father in it he could save the life of an alien if he uh, donated his uh, penis, <laughs> but but he doesn't want to, and like that's the big moral question in the episode uh, to save this person's life, who's like kind of like the um, he's space Gandhi. You can say yeah, that. space Gandhi, basically. Yeah, and oh, man, it's India's like, gonna hate this episode of Geek oh. Top Five. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are huge, huge in India. Um, <laughs> And I don't know. I just uh, I think it's it's a really really solid funny show while trying its best to s- stick to some level of science fiction while also oh, like lampooning, lampooning so much science fiction tropes. You know? I think you're underselling it. Some of the sci-fi in it is fascinating. the The first episode of season two. They're like they've destabilized time, and then multiple timelines start to happen. Like we see the break point where now there's two timelines, but they happen simultaneously on screen, mm-hmm. and the characters are aware of it and are sort of interacting with each other in the other timeline. 
Oof. Like, Rick gets really paranoid and starts trying to shoot himself in the other timeline because he knows that in the other timeline he's really paranoid about trying to kill himself. <laughs> and they split into more and more time. Like, they do really cool ideas. The memory parasites? Memory the, parasites? Uh, but, but, like, that just gets really goofy, too. Like, <laughs> uh, oh, yes, which, because it has to be a hilarious character. Like but long still, neck, it's the, uh, long neck giraffe, and short, uh, but he's got short legs and um, Hammurabi. Um, it's just like it goofs on all this stuff. I think it's just for me. It's just um, I, I need to watch episodes as soon as they come out. I'll rewatch them. I think it's just like really solid storytelling as well. Like Dan Harmon is known for his story circle and being kind of like very uh intense on telling a specific type of uh hero's journey and so i don't know it's but i am now very excited to hear what your number ones are because yeah well i gotta say just in in a quick passing here the the fact that you mentioned that rick and morty is uh, started as a parody of back to the future and none of us have said back to the future and i don't think we are gonna say back to the future we're gonna get some emails about that i think I thought about it, and to those people, it's it's it's, it's I it's not a comedy, you know. It's, no, it's, it's it's fun, but the funny isn't the biggest part of it. It's the adventure. I wouldn't call that a comedy. Like, Fair enough. But you know, so to each take own. that, angry people. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's all about alienating your audience, right? That's why you brought yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we thought you'd be the best at that. <laughs> What's your number one? My number one was Galaxy Quest. Which I had at number three. So so go for it. Yeah, 1999. Um, it is a parody movie based on Star Trek, both the franchise and the meta-narrative of the world that Star Trek is in. Galaxy Quest, I think, is, besides telling actually a, a fun sci-fi adventure, is a huge takedown of that culture at the same time it's a celebration of it um i think it it is hilarious and also a huge tribute to everything that makes popular science fiction these days it stars uh, tim allen as basically as william shatner and the premise of this movie is basically what if aliens saw the original star trek and thought it was real and came to earth and got not Captain Kirk but William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and the you know the rest of the crew to help them out with their problems in space. It balances really fun comedy, you know, fun jokes and character interaction, but also pokes fun at I mean, let's face it, like it seems like we're sort of rewriting that history, but the original Star Trek cast, the stories have come out, they were not fans of William Shatner. No. And so that relationship infects the, you know, it's the relationship that these characters have. Like, yeah, they're this crew who always stick together on the show. But, you know, in real life, which in this movie is, is still the fiction, it's, it's, it's layers. It's difficult to explain <laughs> that way. They despise each other. And now they're thrown into this insane situation that they hate. Because for most of them, it marked this insane period of their lives that's forever typecast them into this life where people in silver jumpsuits keep coming up and saluting them when they're just people. They don't want to have to deal with it. I just, it 
simul- yeah, simultaneously as a celebration tribute and also a takedown, I think is it, it's my favorite of every instance of that. I also think one of the things that it probably didn't get enough credit for at the time, but since then, the cast that's in it is insane. Like, Tim Allen now is probably the least well-known of them like Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, Enrico Colantoni, uh, Missy Pyle who was on went on a Mad TV and things like that, uh, Justin Long and Rain Wilson from The Office, a really early Rain Wilson role. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy how deep the cast is. Got Alan Rickman as the Leonard Nimoy who's just had it, who just does not want to be here anymore, who does not want to say live long and prosper one more time, who does not, who just wants to die. <laughs> is. And, and even beyond that, like the meta narrative uh, on top of that is it's like, it's boggled my mind that Alan Rickman's even in it. He seems like uh, he should be above something like this, but he's perfect for it. I will say like the, the one thing about it is like it, uh, a lot of these kind of lampoon, um, the, the, the product or like the, the, the movie or show that they're um, kind of spoofing off of. But there is a certain like love of the medium and the love of Star Trek in it um, that uh, like you can enjoy it on that level as well. Um, yeah. The only, they're like, and same with like Spaceballs where it's like spoof. Like I very much was like leaning towards that if I was going to pick a spoof, I was going to pick Young Frankenstein because I think oh. that's a, I, I think that's funnier. But I think I like, think this that's is Mel where Brooks's we best comedy. But I wasn't sure about the sci-fi part of it. Frankenstein is sci-fi. <laughs> it is okay. it is known as the original sci-fi story. So, but yes, it's not it's not. That's why it's not on my list. Like I, if this was top ten, definitely Galaxy Class. Uh, quest would be in it it's just i don't know I, and i watched it later like uh like i've only i watched it very recently and huh. i enjoyed it but it was just i don't know i was expecting more <laughs> maybe maybe that's the problem maybe it's being overhyped at this point because it does have almost a legendary status sometimes you look at lists of the best star trek movies and this makes that list and I think when it came out, it didn't do very well at the box office. I don't think it got great reviews, but it... So it was sort of a surprise when you did end up watching it, and it was a lot better than you expected? It's it's definitely better than Insurrection. I can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what you were saying about the, how it depicts fan culture and the, the commentary, this is perhaps a controversial statement, but I will say that it does well what I think Big Bang Theory does poorly. I feel like Big Bang Theory looks at geeks and nerds and makes fun of them. Even though they're the main characters and the stars and everyone loves saying Bazinga, they are constantly the butts of the joke and you're sort of laughing at them and never with them or rarely with them. Whereas this, you can watch it and see that they're poking fun at the geeks and nerds, but it's done with love and and you can still appreciate them at the end of the day. Yeah, I'd back that. Oh, God, the the scene where the nerd like explains to his parents, oh, the the ship's coming in at hypervelocity, da, 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 and runs off, and the dad looks at the mom, and she goes, at least he's outside. <laughs> my pa- my parents and their friends love that scene. <laughs> oh, Jesse, it's just like you. Over and over, I heard this for years. But you know what? 
yeah, it was just like a <laughs> And I can laugh at it. All right, so I'm going to go to my number one, which is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, and uh, yeah, wow. Was the bottom of Jesse's list. Didn't make Tom's list at all. But the only, uh, re- the only reason why I didn't make my list is I haven't read it. But I have okay. read other Douglas Adams stuff. So, he's so I, good. I uh, yeah, I think he's fantastic. But you go on, go on. It's it just, I think it's fascinating the the genesis of it, where it started off as a radio show and then became novels and then became a video game and then became a TV series and then became a movie. It's like, and he has been involved in every facet of those and, um, well, until he died, and he. They're all a little different in their own ways. He he's changed it. There's no strict continuity with it. They all start at basically the same place. Of Arthur Dent's house is about to be destroyed, and then his buddy Ford Prefect turns out to be an alien and says that not only is his house going to be destroyed, the whole planet's going to be destroyed to make way for basically a space highway. And they beam off the planet and hitchhike on this ship that was destroying the planet. And uh, that's the beginning of the adventure, and it goes in so many different directions from there, depending which version you're you're reading or watching. And it's just funny from beginning to end. It's one of the few. I don't really laugh out loud a lot when I read books, but this makes me laugh out loud when I read it. And even the movie which came out, the American movie, which it sort of has a bit of a bad rap. But it's good in its own way, too. And and it's an interesting interpretation of the material. And he was still involved in the making of that, even though he died several years before it came out. He was involved in the pre-production of it. So Was, that, go was ahead. that a Martin Freeman? Was Martin Freeman, yep. Alan Rickman? Uh, Alan Rickman was the voice of Arthur the Depressed Robot. Marvin. Not Arthur. Marvin, yeah. Uh, it's a most deaf was Ford Prefect in it. Zoe Deschanel was uh, Trillium. Oh yeah, okay. And Sam Rockwell was Zaphod Beeblebrox. No, it's a good. I, I like that movie, and like that's the thing. Like I, that's why I really wanted you guys to make lists because I knew that if I made a list, I wouldn't be able to talk to it. And like I do think it's like a very influ- influential piece of writing and media, uh, like media in general. And, and as you said, like it, it started as the radio show and yeah, it was video game. Like it, it, it has gone through so many transitions and I think has influenced so much storytelling uh, specifically in science fiction, but also in comedy, like a lot of comedy people hold that uh, the, the novel and or the radio uh, play as uh, in like high esteem, and and yeah, like I read Dirk Gently <laughs> in right. high school for some right. reason while you, everybody think, else was reading uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. So you had to go for the deeper cut. Yeah, I it was just uh, I may have made the wrong choice. Uh, <laughs> have you watched never looked back? Shows? Never looked back. You know so. Did you watch any of the Dirk Gently TV series? I did, and it is nothing like the book. And <laughs> um, so I didn't really like it. Um, I think uh, Dirk Gently is a hilarious character, and the way that Douglas Adams writes is a, it, it's a singular voice, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and it, it able to make, like, jokes about things in its... There's a Monty Python-esque type of uh, feel to it, where it's just taking the mundane and just turning it on its head, 
you know. Very much so. He was actually, I think, a writer on the later seasons of, of Monty Python. He also worked on Doctor Who in later seasons in the 80s. He was the, the basically the showrunner, I think, of, of Doctor Who. And um, there was a he made a video game based off of one line from one of the books about the starship Titanic. So he made he wrote that line. Then he made a whole video game with revolutionary technology in it about being on the starship Titanic. And then Terry Jones from Monty Python wrote a novelization of that game. So he's in deep with the Python guys. Incestuous. Basically. <laughs> like basically how I see it is like there is no Rick and Morty without Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy type of thing. So yeah. and I just, just we should wrap up, but I want to mention, like, Jesse, earlier when we first brought up Hitchhikers, you said that you were going to just say the first novel and then ended up thinking about stuff from the later novels. Can you speak to that a bit? Well, I just – the if you ask me what happens in it, the first novel is really the only one I could tell you the story. But I don't think that the most important thing about the Hitchhiker's Guide is the story. I think it's just the little comic excerpts and the clever writing. And I I went to look a few of my more favorite quotes up, and a lot of them are from Restaurant at the End of the Universe, or just just from across the project. And I'm thinking about the movie now, too, now that you've mentioned it. So it's a tough call. I mean, because when I say it's important to remember, the first book wasn't the first project. Like, the first one was the broadcast on BBC Radio 4 before it took off. So maybe it is best to say just the entire... Not cinematic universe, but the Hitchhiker's Guide United Media Project in general. Yeah, it's hard to label it. And, you know, there's so many other things where it branches out into different mediums. But for some reason, with the Hitchhiker's one, every aspect of it feels as valid as the others. Whereas, you know, Star Trek has comic books and novels, but they never quite reach the same bar as the TV show as far as how you count them in your heart, you know, if you count them as canon. Whereas with Hitchhikers, all of them are sort of equal. Anyway, we should wrap up. I guess we should. Tom, that's, I mean, I think what we did is we ended up giving each other a bunch of different things that we need to check out. Um, But certainly you have outperformed me uh, by putting Rick and Morty (laughs) on there. So uh, major geek top props to you for that. And, uh, and, you know, thank you for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. I'm. Uh, it's. I, I guess I'm more uh, surprised that we kind of took different points of view on everything, but uh, there was some crossover. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that uh, it, I. I feel like I have a greater understanding of what both makes you laugh, uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, I think that there's definitely some awesome stuff that people should check out. Fair enough. Um, I know we asked you before the show, but is there anything else at the end that you wanted to pitch? Anything to tag that people can check out your stuff? Anything you haven't already said? Oh, no. Just if you got kids, you should definitely watch Endlings on CBC or Hulu. And uh, there's the show Lockdown that's uh, going on uh, YouTube in a day and or will be online by the time you hear this. So (laughs) check that out. Uh, it's one of the first quarantine TV shows, so you should check that out. Sounds good. Well, thank you again for joining us. 
And while we're th- sending out thanks, also special thanks to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Check him out on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official or on Instagram at uh, Jamie underscore Reum. Uh, he's a music geek, so if you're, you know, we're, we're not touching on a lot of that stuff on this show, but you can find that there. He's a performer. He's, he's, it's, he does some cool stuff. You should take a look. Um, for speaking for us, that was our sci-fi comedies, and I think what we're taking away from it is that there is a much larger world there than any of the three of us individually uh, anticipated. Is there anything on there that we missed that we really should have had on there? Uh, please let us know. Uh, Graham, you know all the cool ways that they can get a hold of us. Yeah, please send your angry emails to geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. And one of these days, maybe Geek Top 5 will make a list of best comedies and something. Uh, Fingers crossed, you'll have to stay tuned to see. Uh, So we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5, and we'll talk to you again next week.